Welcome to the Holy Sparks Podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. If you're looking for inspiration, edutainment, or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the Jewish world, you're in the right place. I also want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, JLTV, Jewish Life Television Network. JLTV is a 24-7 cable and satellite television network delivering news, history, and entertainment. JLTV brings together the greatest voices from around the country, across the world, and from the Holy Land. Go to JLTV.TV for stories that inspire. Okay, welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Salke here, super excited and honored to have a very special guest on this afternoon. And without further ado, let me edify the man properly. Rabbi David Kasher grew up bouncing back and forth between Berkeley and Brooklyn, hippies and Hasidism, and has been trying to synthesize these two worlds ever since. After graduating from Wesleyan University in 1998, he studied for several years in yeshivot in Israel before heading off to rabbinical school at Yeshivat Hochave Torah. He was ordained there in 2007 and returned to Northern California, where he became the senior Jewish educator at Berkeley Hillel. He was part of the founding team at Keva, a nonprofit specializing in adult Jewish education, where he worked from 2012 to 2018. And he developed the Keva Teaching Fellowship. He has served on the faculty of Berkeley Law, the Wexner Heritage Program, Reboot, and the Bina Secular Yeshiva, and also taught courses at Pardes, Svara, the Hartman Institute, AJR, and HUC. Rabbi Kasher is a teacher of nearly all forms of classical Jewish literature, but his greatest passion is Torah commentary, and he spent five years producing the weekly Parshanat blog and podcast, which is a huge accomplishment, ladies and gentlemen, exploring the riches of the genre. In 2018, he began work as an associate rabbi at ICAR, a non-denominational spiritual community in Los Angeles, where he teaches a weekly Parsha class and has a new Parsha podcast called Best Book Ever. Welcome to the podcast, Rabbi David. How are you, sir? Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So for those of my audience that aren't familiar with you, talk a little bit about your Jewish life growing up. Well, um, my Jewish life growing up was... uh, was I, I guess the the place to start the place I always start is with my parents divorce because my parents split when I was very very young and my parents I guess together had been lightly traditional when we you know uh, moved across the country back to California where my mom was from we sort of dropped um, Judaism. And I grew up mostly just a secular kid in the Bay Area, um, which is a, a good way to grow up. That's a nice, that was, it was a nice environment, um, a nice, um, uh, unique corner of the world that I'm grateful to have grown up in. But my dad became very, very religious or very observant, I guess you might say. Um, but really, yeah, just very religious. I mean, my, my dad kind of went back into the Hasidic world that he had come from, um, that his mom had sort of left and he kind of, uh, re-embraced that. And so my summers were spent with my dad, um, in that 
kind of deep in that enclave. And, um, and so my Jewish life was kind of, um, split, you know, like it was, a, it was, a it wasn't that we weren't r being raised Jewish in the Bay area, but it was just like, mostly we felt like just regular American kid, progressive, maybe version of an American, you know, secular upbringing. And, um, meanwhile, I was encountering with my dad's world, a, um, a whole different reality. <laughs> and, um, and there was something about that reality that always really spoke to me, even though I never really, um, I never, I never really wanted to turn my back on, on either of those worlds. I, I think that bio, it's always funny to hear your bio read back, but that bio sort of starts by saying that I've been trying to integrate um, those two worlds ever since. And I, I think that's true. I, I'm like very formed by both of those experiences. And I think my, a lot of my own personal journey has been trying to sort of sift through all that and figure out, you know, what, what does it mean to be a kind of deeply religious person in um, this world that we live in, this sort of like sec secular age that we live in? And, um, and then I guess it's become a part of my professional life too, in the sense that I guess what I'm up to now is kind of trying to translate this, um, this, this sort of tradition that we have to, um, yeah, well, I'm out here in California, so I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm translating the, the religion of, of, of my youth to the to the environment that I, that I grew up in, sort of like importing it back, so to speak. All right. So what I heard a couple of really interesting things, I have a lot of Israeli friends and they, um, many of them call themselves secular Israelis. So you use that term in a Bay area context, which I think is really fascinating too. So when you say uh, secular in Bay area, does that mean maybe you went to a, 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 a reform synagogue or, or no synagogue at all? Were you B'nai Mitzvah at that age? What does that mean to you in this context? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it is like, it is a loaded word, secular, but I just think that that's the way I saw my childhood. My father was so visibly religious mm. that I sort of thought of everything that wasn't that as secular. I mean, we did go to a reform kind of Sunday school growing up in California. I, I don't think of reform as secular I think of it as 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 religious in a different way but um my kind of little kid brain was like oh there's two ways of living and one is to be like deeply immersed in and kind of bound by this particular tradition and and it all is centered around some kind of mysterious force that is obviously not a big deal in the in, in the landscape that I you know that I'm that I'm usually in that is to say, there was something about, it wasn't just all the rules and all the traditions, but also some sense that there was some kind of power or force or feeling that people were seeking in what I thought of as the religious world that just wasn't on the table growing up as, as a kid in the Bay Area. It's like, there's a lot of spirituality in the Bay Area. Don't get me wrong. It's sure. like, um, yeah. there's a lot of spirituality in, in the sort of like California, like, 
free loving kind of self-realizing humanist spirit but it's like i i think i grew up at a moment in our culture and or in a place in the country where religion was almost like like a bad guy and you just didn't talk about that stuff you just didn't it was best to just like not bring religion up and nobody we, we never you know nobody would talk about god in in my friend group that wasn't like in my education, in my my whole kind of cultural context in the Bay Area, it just wasn't, that's not, we weren't religious people. Nobody was. So, I mean, obviously people were, but it just wasn't a part of the the cultural conversation. And then in my father's life in New York, it was, it seemed to define everything. So I think it's probably unfair to say that one world was secular, but that's just how I experienced it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I don't know if this is true across the country, but many people that I know say, well, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious, right? Which right. I want to do a, like literally a whole podcast on that topic because it's, right. it's, so, it's so fascinating. So that I get 100% totally understand that. And so in your dad, the other question I want to ask about that side is, you know, when you say Hasidic, there's obviously many different branches. So can you suss out like what branch was it specifically and, and how did it manifest externally so that you had an experience of your dad as, very religious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of like um, Hasidic sects, um, that's S-E-C-T-T-S. <laughs> um, you know, we, my family in Europe, I think my um, Zaidi, the, the sort of towering, you know, figure my great-grandfather in Europe was Hasidic, but sort of independent, didn't have like a very, wasn't attached to any particular sect, though I think he was maybe close to the Tzanza Rebbe, like, and then when we came over to, when, when he came over to the United States, eventually they became close to Square and the Square Rebbe and that, mm -hmm. the community of New Square, and they lived in, in Muncie and New Square, my family. Mm -hmm. My father's mother kind of broke away from all of that and became, you know, a kind of classic New York Jewish communist and, um, and raised him secular. And in that case, really deliberately secular mm -hmm. and um, wanted to reclaim that heritage. He married into a Satmar family. So the Satmar Hasidim. Um, and that was mm -hmm. the community I grew up in. Most of the shuls were Satmar in some way or another and um or most of the families anyway in the big shul so yeah so th those were my primary experiences of like hasidic judaism growing up was like satmer and square got it and my limited understanding of satmar hasidism and please correct me if i'm wrong is uh, it's not as much of a kiruv type of situation where they're trying to bring people in and more sort of keep away from maybe other types of Judaism, but please correct me if that's not right. accurate. Sa Satmar is, is sort of kind of famously insular. I mean, I would say that probably most Hasidim um, tend in, in that direction. I think it's Chabad who is particularly out, outward facing, uh, whereas most of the Hasidic communities after the war were sort of like, uh, like trying to preserve their own traditions and culture by keeping it very insulated from the outside world. I mean, w you know, one of the things that w that often defines Hasidim in our, in our image of them is their 
their dress, which is sort of unchanging since the 18th century. Mm-hmm. And that's like, the, you can feel in that this desire to like not be permeated by, influenced by, and um, diluted by the outside world. And that creates a kind of um, an intentional distancing from from the outside world. Got it. But yeah, Satmar is definitely one of those. Satmar more than most is like, really, um, really, a really closed community by design. Got it. So we're going to kind of fast forward. I guess you went to public school or did you go to day school or public school here in the Bay? I went to public school. Okay. Uh, yeah, no Jewish day school. So eventually, I mean, I went to a private high school, but I, I didn't go to Jewish schools. If that's what you're asking. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. Fast forward to Wesleyan. And then at what point did the light come on in your mind tell you, I want to be a rabbi. This is my path. Or was it a gradual process? You know, I don't, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like if I've ever wanted to be a rabbi, um, it's funny. Like, it's like, um, I, I feel like I've heard that question before. Like as if it suddenly occurs to you, like, this is, this is what I want to be. But I, I, my father had died and that was like sort of that, that upended my life. Uh, you know, in, in, as as you might expect. And because my father represented religion for me, I felt suddenly like I was going to lose my connection to all of that. I think I think by the time I got to college, I wasn't thinking about these questions too deeply. I was just trying to figure out who I was and have my own experience. And then suddenly my father passed away and I felt like, oh, I'm going to lose this now if I don't figure out a way to hold on to it. And so I went off to yeshiva in search of some, like, I think I'd grown up observing religious Judaism, but I didn't, I didn't really know what it was, what was going on. I didn't really understand um, exactly what, what drove it all, what the content of it all. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I had never really studied, like, what, I never really studied Judaism. Mm. I wouldn't have even known to say, like, to study the Torah or the Talmud, like, you know, these were these just not things I, I, I knew how to sift through. And so I went off to yeshiva kind of looking for answers. And then I think when I was in yeshiva, I discovered this world of learning, which was so central to not just like the Jewish experience, but to the to the Jewish religious experience. Our, our religion, like as I as I encountered it, centers around uh, around study. I mean, that was really the, like, that was the great innovation um, of the rabbis is that you could like really live a full spiritual life by studying and then living out the, the Torah. And that's sort of what the Talmud is. And it is an attempt to figure out how to live out the Torah. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that, that, that culture really captivated me. I was, uh, I was just, I loved the, uh, you know, I don't, I, the truth is I don't in some ways really even know how to talk about what the magic was. I just felt like there's something about this form of study and this way of seeking, I don't know, seeking what God, a spiritual experience that is just so different than anything else I've, I've encountered and so powerful. And I just, I've never, I've never stopped wanting more of that. I mean, I, I guess that I could talk about it in a psychological way. And I could talk about it in a, um, 
I could talk about it in the terms, you know, that we use in religious life, like the, 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 the value of Talmud Torah, of studying the Torah. But I think that I, I actually feel like I don't really know how to articulate what it is that I encounter when I study Torah. I, I actually think that on some level, I feel a, a certain mysticism about that. Like there's just something in the Torah something in our study of the Torah that is dynamic and pulsing and, and powerful in a way that I, I, I just could, I, I, I had never experienced before. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I heard a share recently on joy and, you know, Simcha since we're in the holiday of Sukkot and they said, you know, really one of the, the great true joys is found through study. Right. Is it your, yeah. your neshama lights up and I, I have a theory uh, rabbi, which you can prove or disprove or agree with or not, which is, you know, the theory that we're, we're all born knowing the entire Torah and, you know, angel comes down, smacks on our lips, we forget everything. And the reason we feel mm-hmm. so much joy when we come back to Torah is because like, oh yeah, that's what I knew. So that's why it feels like a coming home for some people. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly, that's certainly one, one way of thinking about the 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 exhilaration of of Torah study is that it's a kind of a, a, a rediscovery, a kind of a a, a, a recognition mm-hmm. that that there's something in the Torah that is already in us. And again, that's a kind of a mystical framework. But it, it you have to find some language for talking about why. I mean, you, you think about it, and it's it's kind of a crazy thing, you know. Like it's like how how did this come to be that the religion would center around pouring over this book? I mean, it's, it's now so familiar to us that we just sort of take it for granted, but that doesn't seem like a good enough religious life. That doesn't seem like a, like there's lots of books in the world, but there's something about this book and the way we study this book that is, that, that creates a certain kind of energy that is, just different and you know maybe that's because this book is like a you know a glimmering gift from god and that's we've developed a method of studying it that is like particularly dynamic or maybe it's just like our culture has shaped us in such a way as to revere this practice but whatever it is it's 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 quite remarkable that you can you can even yeah I know I, just, I know it's like not every Jew is in this um, is in this m- mode but an, enough Jews have been convinced by this idea that you should just spend as much time as possible studying this book and I, that's I mean that's just a remarkable thing and I'm I'm here to report that like I have been I am one of those that has been convinced by that project i just I, I, there's nothing in the world that that is quite as satisfying to me as torah study it's just it just is the kind of gift that keeps on giving and i have had like since those yeshiva days when i first encountered it i've had lots of uh journeying and ups and downs and times when i thought maybe i just can't do this religion and my practice has 
um, shifted and become more and less intense. And I've, you know, I've, I've been drawn towards this community, Jewish community and been repelled by that one. And I've had my own issues. And, you know, it's like, it's not like I, don't, I, I, I have an uncomplicated religious life. But when it comes to Torah study, it's just always worked for me. It's always like that has never failed me. And it feels just as vital and exciting and life-giving now as it ever did. So I don't know, there's a magic there. And I spent a lot of time, I think in my life and then career trying to give language to that magic, the language that like, you know, rational language, like, oh, our search for meaning or um, making connections is, you know, like I, there's, there, there, there are ways of talking about the experience that like, that you can put in kind of pedagogical terms. But I think ultimately, I just, at this point, I feel like that I don't really have the right language to talk about what it is that's so uniquely captivating and powerful about Torah study. I think it's, it is a, a mystery. It is like the great, the great blessing of my life. And yet it's, there's something kind of mysterious about it, even, even to me. I love it. Well, perhaps that will be your magnum opus, your great work, your great book. You can release if you find the words for it at some time, but I really resonate with that. Absolutely. And it's, and look, I, I really do view Judaism as this buffet and there's so many ways, so many char, there's so many gates to come in, right? Some people come in through food or through prayer or through community or through davening, Torah study, you know, but you really, your derech is Torah study and that feels super resonant. So quick question. You are not the first guest that I've had on the Holy Sparks podcast that went to Chovave Torah, Yeshiva Chovave Torah. So were you contemporaries with Rabbi David Ingbar or Sam Feinsmith? Yeah, those, uh, I, I knew both of those guys and they were, we overlapped. They were, uh, I think, David was a year ahead of me, though he eventually went elsewhere. Um, so we only overlapped for a year. And Sam, I believe, was two years ahead of me. But I was like in the early days of the yeshiva. So I was like the fourth class. Yeah, that yeah. makes like, you know, David the third or Sam the second. I mean, it was like early, early days. And um, those were like, you know, those are really wild and, and wonderful times at Chove. When a, when, a, when a movement is just starting and when a school is just trying to like kind of like make its mark in the world there's a lot of um experimentation there's a lot that's open and there and it draws you know people who are who are a little out of the box because they're looking for an alternative experience so the people that were there were just really yeah it was it was um it was an incredibly energizing and stimulating and and um, edifying time I feel like that that yeshiva and maybe now still and the people that were there all on what I would call the leading edge, right? The leading edge of of, of Jewish experience and exploration. And I've, I've only met brilliant people that have come through there. So, quick question: Is Ikar your first congregational gig as a rabbi, or have there been other communities? No, I was. I that definitely was my first, maybe last. I I um I I was. That is to say, I was not. I was not headed for the pulpit. It wasn't, you asked me before, like when I knew I wanted to be a rabbi and I, did, I don't think I ever really thought, oh, I want to be a rabbi, but I just knew that I wanted to study more. And I, and I, and I felt like if I was in uh, teaching, then I could continue to be in Torah. 
And mm -hmm. going to rabbinical school seemed like the best way to, to build yourself up to be a teacher. And I guess that's what I think uh, a rabbi fundamentally is. And in that sense, I do feel like a rabbi is, you know, to be a teacher of Torah is, is the, um, is really the, the most primary definition. And I didn't think I wanted to be a congregational rabbi. Um, and so I avoided it um, for all kinds of reasons, but I, I just went into education, which had been my, that had been my passion all along. And so I went in for t 10 years, I was just teaching and in, you know, various contexts. And then, um, yeah, and then I kind of got the itch. I mean, that is to say, I, I, I started to feel like maybe there's something about being a congregational rabbi that's like important to, to understand. I mean, I didn't just do it as a kind of, I, I wondered if it was for me. I, I certainly, there was something about that role that I, I thought was very powerful. And I wondered if I was, how can I say this? I think that maybe the best way to say it is that I worried in my teaching life that it was all too kind of cerebral and kind of um, um, parv sort of, you know, academic, that you could go in and mm -hmm. teach people and you'd share ideas and everybody would go home, you know, and like it, it wouldn't, it would be, a, it would have been an intellectually stimulating experience, but it wouldn't really transform their lives. And I sort of felt like, but this is, I, you know, I got into this for a religious experience and I'm, I, I'm not just here to you know, to teach, to just convey information. So I, I thought maybe that the rabbi, the pulpit would be a part of people's spiritual lives and have them be a part of mine and be in that project of kind of working to grow, um, to use this, this, this learning as a way of growing spiritually. I think that the, the, the long and the short of it is that I, you know, I was, I was, I was a pulpit rabbi for five years and it, I was correct and you know from the start that it wasn't really the right role for me long term but I also was correct and I say I was correct but I actually I, I yeah I was I was not conscious of this at all but I looking back I was also correct that there was something important about the role of the rabbi um in that the rabbi could kind of speak openly about god and um and meaning and spiritual growth I think now that I'm I now that I'm heading back into education I feel like I have been I've gained from the the experience of working at a shul the, uh, like I have a a greater comfort with that more integrated Torah the one that is like you know yes educational and yes driven by like an intellectual experience but that is really about as it should be um about uh, some kind of transformation. Torah study can be Torah study in our um, in our kind of modern Jewish landscape can become a kind of substitute for the religious experience. Like, don't worry, you're not religious. You'll just do literacy and learning and talking, and that's you know that's fine. But I I I actually think Torah study is supposed to be a religious experience. Not to say you have to be religious or observant in order to study Torah. Uh, more, more that when you study Torah, you are observing Judaism. You are you are entering into the into the religious experience, and um, 
And that's, yeah, I feel, I feel grateful for my time as a congregational rabbi because that, that trained me to, to feel more comfortable and natural teaching Torah as a explicitly transformative project. I got it. Now, question. Do you think it's because there was a continuity of community and that you were able to see these people trying out these ideas over years and actually see it in their lives? Was that part of it or no? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's a big part of it. The idea that the same people that you would teach, you would also be at their um, uh, weddings and shivas and mm. um, you'd daven with them on Shabbos. And so... Like that in itself was a more holistic kind of Jewish experience. And also it started to affect the way you teach. Because when you teach about weddings, you realize like what you say has implications for the way people will think about their own weddings. And when you teach about death, it isn't, it isn't um, theoretical. abstract. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I think that was, that was, um, you could just, you could feel people's, um, hunger for some um, f- some framework. Like what people came to classes, they weren't just com- coming to learn information, but to be able to like take what they were learning and then infuse their lives with it. And that was, yeah, that was really powerful. That's amazing. Yeah, I totally have, have both experiences, both traveling around to many different communities and also having some communities here in the Bay where I've been coming for 10, 15 years. And it's those ones where you really see the depth of the work over years. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So, well, first of all, congrats also on uh, over a hundred episodes of your first podcast. That my friend is quite an achievement. Most people quit at nine (laughs) and that sounds like you're starting a new one as well. What, tell me a little bit about that and what's the vision for your new podcast? Yeah. Well, um, so I, I, just started as the director of Hadar West Coast. So I'm working for Hadar, which is a institute back back east or centered back east, although they're really kind of all over all over the country and increasingly um, the globe as uh, you know, Israel, Israel, America, and now the West Coast. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a dream to, to work for for a, a yeshiva an educational institute. I don't know exactly how to say it, but like you know, a, a center of Torah that is, um, that is this rich and productive and, um, yeah, I just think they're putting out some of the best Torah in the world right now. And, um, and so, yeah, so I'm coming on to kind of bring what they're doing out, out West. And as part of this first year with them, I'm also, I'm going to be writing their, they, they send out weekly, Divrei Torah essays on, on the weekly mm-hmm. Torah reading which uh, has always kind of been my great um, love in the world of Torah is the Parsha, the weekly Torah reading. I think you said this from my bio, like Torah commentary, meaning like the most famous name in that genre is Rashi, but there's just like a world of, of, um, of scholars who have been staring at the Torah for, you know, thousands of years and putting together their, um, their interpretations. And, um, so I was, I, this has always been like my, my great love in, in Torah study. And I, I started blogging about it, um, a number of years ago and, uh, then podcasting that blog. 
and yeah, there's going to be a podcast version of these essays as well. Like while I was a, a congregational rabbi, I kind of went off this cycle because it's so demanding, but I'm back in the mode of like every week trying to, you know, go deep into one question, scour the commentaries for, you know, insights, and then try to synthesize it and put it into uh, to some kind of offering. So that's that's starting this week. And I, yeah, go to hadar.org and sign up for the for the weekly mailings and there'll be a podcast podcasted version of that as well. I love it. Yeah. So I'm I'm fairly familiar with Hadar and certainly Joey Weisenberg and the work they're doing on the East Coast and you know more coming this way as well. But for people that aren't familiar with Hadar, what would you say is their overall mission and who do they serve? Is it pluralistic? Is it leaning a certain direction? And talk a little bit more about sort of the culture of Hadar and what you think their vision is. So first of all, just in terms of their like their actual mission, they they they've sort of um, centered their their mission around three kind of core pillars, which are the kind of classic pillars um, in Jewish life, which is Torah, then prayer, like avoda, and then chesed, like acts of 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 service. So um, Hadar is in in many ways just like a a, a classical um, yeshiva that is like doing the um, work of spreading Torah and, and then practice like, you know, real um, deep and rigorous um, communities of, of practice. And I think in terms of its orientation, it's significant that um, Hadar is egalitarian. And that is to say um, open equally to men and women to both study and practice the forms of Judaism. And I think, you know, men and women, but also like queer and straight and all different kinds of Jewish backgrounds, like it's fundamentally guided by inclusivity. That is to say, like a desire to bring all of Kalal Yisrael, all of the people of Israel into this rich and deep encounter with um, with Torah and, you know, the study of Torah and and the, and and living it out. Got it. And so your your mission on the West Coast, uh, what do you, what do you what does that look like besides the weekly you know Parshanut, a blog and podcast? What's your what's your vision for this first couple of years? What you want to bring? Well, I mean, look, I I um I think that the West Coast is just primed to become one of the great centers of Torah learning in the world. Amen. And I think it's like. There are all kinds of reasons why. You, what I mean, like I think the West Coast is is a a um, a, a great uh, Jewish homeland in a, in a certain sense. That is to say, there there are thriving um, Jewish communities out here. I live in Los Angeles, and you know we have like incredible shuls and kosher restaurants and all you know schools, all kinds of Jewish institutions, and, and a lot of Jews. Um, I think the most in, in any city after Jerusalem and um, New York. But I think that uh, the West Coast, you know, for all kinds of um, cultural and historical reasons, is not a place where there are a ton of great options to study Torah, who just wants to um, begin or continue this journey of, of Im- immersing themselves in our, in our tradition of Torah study. And so, you know, I'm going to be doing all the kind of work that you might expect of someone who is representing an organization. I'll be like sharing what we do with um, communities out here and I'll be 
recruiting people for some of our programs and I'll be collaborating with um, communities that already exist out here. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, the goal is to be a support to um, uh, California and not to be, not, not, not to set up some, some new outfit, but to help people do what they're already doing. If I have some kind of bigger lofty goal, it's that I would like to feel like the California, Los Angeles, you know, is one of the great tourist centers uh, in the world. It should be by rights. And we could take it there. Um, if we give people the kind of encounter with Torah that is exciting and dynamic, um, both because Torah is supposed to be that way, but maybe also um, with a, a sensibility, a sensitivity to the culture of the West Coast, which is like its own kind of cultural universe. And um, I grew up out here. I think I'm well positioned to kind of speak both the language of Torah and the language of progressive frontier land of California. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my goal is to make, you know, it's such, such as it is. I, I, I mostly, you know, I'm just trying to learn, you know, with uh, as many people as I can. And that's like, that's, that's always the, you know, the mission, you know, whatever the mission is, that's always the mission. But if I had some kind of um, more ambitious goal, I would say that I want to feel like, you know, in 10 years, California is a, is a thriving you know, hub of Torah learning and that I was, you know, part of helping to make that happen. I love it. I love it. Establishing the West Coast as a center of Torah learning beautiful. And there's absolutely no reason why that can't happen. We're gonna have to wrap up here pretty soon. So we might have to do this in two parts. But I have two final questions for you, Rabbi David. First, yeah, what is it like having a brother who is a comedian? What is it like? Yeah, uh, it's great. <laughs> it's great. He's very funny. And he's got a book coming out soon, you should check out subculture vulture. Um, he is hilarious, person. by the way, if you're not familiar with whom I'm referring to. Moshe Kasher. Moshe is a riot. In fact, he's coming to San Francisco uh, next week. So I'm planning on seeing him and just a little plug for him as well. Um, yeah, it's okay. Anything to, else you want to say are, about these that? Are, you know, classic Jewish professions, the rabbi and the right. Indian. So we're just like, <laughs> we're just like, you know, fulfilling the stereotypes. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last, a little on the more serious note, um, what do you feel the Jewish world needs now most and why? Oh, that's a big question. It's a very, very hard question. It's a very hard, it'd be easy for me to just say like, oh, more Torah, like that's what I've been saying all along. But um, I think that, you know, that's, that's nice and it's true. Oh, it's, it's, it's too easy an answer. I mean, I think the, the question you're asking what the Jewish need, world needs the most seems to speak to some kind of urgency of this moment. And in this moment, this particular moment, um, I think what we're really missing is Ahavat Yisrael, like this sense of, of love for, you know, for our, for our whole people, our whole collective, our whole project. And I think most, most Jewish communities that I know of are guilty and, and that I've been a part of, and, and I'm as guilty as, as, as they are, you know, I'm not excluding myself, but are guilty of 
disdain for some other part of the Jewish world. You know, you see that in the in the growing divides in Israel. You see that in the like denominational like fractionalism here in this country. Um, you see that you, you, there's just a there's like we're, we're like it's as if we're competing against each other. And um, there's a really, I guess what the Jewish world needs is some kind of reclaiming of the, the basic concept of Klal Yisrael, that we're like, we're all one, we're one people, like we're one whole people. And, um, you know, like if we, it, it, it's like the, the Maharal of Prague says that like, it's our, our, our essence is fundamentally like a, 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 a collective essence. And mm-hmm. when we are um, scattered, um, either throughout the world in exile or spiritually scattered, um, we're just not ourselves. Like that's, and that's not to say that all Jews need to practice the same and not to say that all Jews um, will um, agree on most anything that's just that's not that's not that's not the, the, the way we are either but a sense that we're all in this together and that we you know we're responsible for each other and that we care about each other and that we um yeah that we have a love for each other we're i think that that's what we're i think that's what we're we're not doing a great job of is loving each other totally agree absolutely uh well my friend we have to wrap up for this session we're gonna call it part one we'll put a little pause on it but i want to thank you so much for your time i know you're very busy and i always like to end with a little blessing at the end of podcast so uh hashem should bless you in your work with hadar that you give from the gift of what you love so much which is torah study and that really that can be conveyed to anyone who hears or reads your parshanut or encounters you and that love of torah study can really lead to transformation in people's lives because i know that it does so thank you so much and i appreciate your time thanks so much Saul. great talking to you and wishing you lots of uh, lots of growth and 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 joy and discovery in the coming year Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Kay. Please subscribe. It helps the podcast. Share this with friends and family whom you think would be inspired by the content. And we will see you on our next episode.